book of Jude, Jude chapter number one. And if you have any other chapters in Jude, you uh, need to change your Bible there. Jude. As, as I began considering what the Lord would have us to preach tonight, I immediately, after the phone conversation, I immediately began thinking, and Brother Jeremiah said, I want you to challenge us to, to, to continue for another 70 years. I, I, and the verse jumped into my mind that we need to contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. And so I began praying and looking and studying and, and preparing this message for you tonight. I, it's not really, it didn't go where I thought it was going to go. Following the word of God, it, it really became something. I thought, boy, we're just, you know, this is, a, this is an exciting time. Seventy years. Seventy years of ministry here. And I don't know the whole history of Central Baptist Hattiesburg, but uh, competing in, in athletics with the Christian schools, we've been here off and on even before, uh, before the kids were even involved in athletics. We were competing when Dr. Williams was still the pastor and other folks that were here. And uh, I know Brother Tim Lejeune was here for a while. Brother Tim had graduated from our from our Christian school. I know he was on staff here for a while. And then uh, we support... This morning, our missionary letter in Sunday school was from Brother James Lejeune. And uh, he's mission missionary in Honduras. And so uh, just a lot of ties to the, to the church here. But as I began looking at this passage, as I said, it just really didn't take off where the direction I thought it was going to go. But it is the Word of God. And we're going to stick with the Word of God and see what the Lord has for us concerning contending for the faith and how this is going to help Central Baptist Church of Hattiesburg, Central Baptist Church of Baton Rouge, each of us individually to continue, to continue, to contend for the faith for as long as God leaves us on this earth. Amen. So if you would, if you'd stand with us, let's stand together as we read God's Word. Jude, we're going to begin in in verse number 1. I'll read and you can read along silently as we read the first four verses. Jude, beginning in verse number one. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd open our hearts to the instruction that you've given us through your word tonight. Lord, I pray that everything that's said you would be pleased with, you'd be honored and glorified. I pray that you'd anoint my lips and anoint our hearing. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I've read through the book of Jude a number of times, the, the last time I read through, I went through and marked how negative Jude was. And I not marked 39 times where Jude was very negative. And you know, when you have a negative, uh, a, a, a negative message, maybe you didn't 
pick it out that way, but uh, he talks about in verse number four, condemnation, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, uh, destroyed them in verse number five that believe not. Uh, verse number six, he's down there. He's reserved everlasting chains into darkness. Talks about Sodom and Gomorrah in verse number seven, just goes on and on and on and on and on. Preaching judgment. You know, when you have that kind of preaching, you want to know where that's coming from. So when we look at the life of Jude, we find out he says himself that he's a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, that is not James, that is not James the apostle, the first apostle to be martyred. That was not that James. It was the James that was the brother of Jesus. So Jude was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know from Scripture that uh, his family did not accept him. They did not accept him while he was ministering here on earth. The Bible says in John 7, 5, For neither did his brethren believe in him. But by Acts chapter 1, after Jesus had been crucified, resurrected from the dead, by Acts chapter 1, after the Lord had ascended into heaven, we find that in Acts chapter 1, in verse number 14, James was in the upper room waiting on the coming of the Holy Spirit's power. Scholars think that he may have been an itinerant preacher. Paul said that have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other, as well as other apostles, as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas. Paul was saying, I have the right to have a wife if I wanted one. I just don't want one right now. He said, you know, Peter has a wife. And he said, the apostles have, the other apostles do. And the brethren of the Lord, speaking, I'm sure, of, of James and Jude. But notice his kindness there in verse number 3. He says in verse number 3, beloved. He says that again in verse number 17, beloved. Verse number 20, beloved. Verse number 2, he speaks of his love. Love be multiplied to you and, and the Lord's love in verse number 21. And I want to call your attention again to verse number 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior tonight, this book was written to you. It wasn't written to one of the other apostles. You know, uh, Paul was not writing to Timothy. Paul was not, this book was not written to a, a church, like the church at Ephesus or the church at Corinth or the churches of Galatia. This one was written to us individually. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. He speaks of the common salvation and he says that uh, I wanted to speak of the common salvation. But it says it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. He's talking to the church. He's not addressing it to Timothy. Not addressing it to Peter. Not addressing it to a church. It's to them that are sanctified. Central Baptist Church, we, each one of us, are responsible for contending for the faith. That's the message. We all are to contend. It's not the responsibility of the staff, though it is their responsibility. It's not just the responsibility of the missionaries. It's not just the responsibility of those that have been trained at seminary. It's the responsibility of every one of us to defend the faith. And in this day and age, it's more necessary than ever with the advent of social media, Facebook, Twitter, blogs, website discussions. 
You know, before you get home this evening, if you wanted, you could hear a comment on the sermon. Before you get home this evening, you could hear someone critique the sermon online. Before you get home, maybe even next week, you could hear someone that's not even present tonight make comments about the sermons that are preached from the pulpit. The Holy Spirit, through Jude, exhorts us to earnestly contend for the faith. And let me, under, let me help you to understand the direction of Central Baptist Church Hattiesburg, the direction of this church more than any other time in history, the direction of this church is in the hands of the people more than any other time in history. Preachers know that. Pastors know that as, as, as I've been pastoring now for the last year and a half, two years if you include the interim, you get to see things from a different perspective. The Lord gives you a little bit of insight into some of those things. And you, you, you see the fact that church members tend to have more influence on church members these days because of social media. Church members have more opportunity to be led astray today. Because of social media. And so every one of us, every one of us needs to be in a position that we can contend for the faith. So tonight I want to look at three things about contending for the faith. Three points. First of all, what is the faith that we're to contend for? What is the faith? Number two, who are the certain men and what's their deception? Who are the certain men and what's their deception? And then number three, we're going to get very practical and we're going to share with you how you as an individual, you as a church member and how Central Baptist Church can contend for the faith so that it, if God tarries his coming and this church is here for another 70 years, it's still singing the songs, it's still preaching the gospel, it's still seeing folks saved, the building is still full and we're continuing on doing exactly what God instructed us to do in his word. Amen. Contending for the faith. So what is the faith? Well, real simple. Everything he told us to do, <laughs> everything that he told us to do in his book is the faith. You know, the, the, Paul, Paul contended with the Christians on the faith in the, in, the, in the epistles. He's telling me the church at Ephesus, he's giving them some further instruction. He's really contending for the faith with the church at Corinth. That church had a lot of issues going on. He's contending for the faith with them. He's contending for the faith with Timothy, with Titus. The Lord Jesus contended for the faith whenever he spoke. In the book of the Revelation, he spoke to John. And in the book of the Revelation, he's talking to those seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. And giving them instruction. We'll look at some of that in just a little bit. But what they're contending for, church, is, is, is not just salvation. Not just salvation. It's the entirety of the scripture that we're to contend for. Martin Luther said this, If I profess, profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefront besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. We're going to get into some very specific things where we ought to contend for the faith. Because those are the things that scripture tells us. Those are the things we've got to be out on the look at for. Look at uh, look there again. It says it was once delivered. Once and for all delivered. Once and for all delivered unto the saints. 
once and for one time. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. It's been. It does not need the faith does not need to be recalibrated to the culture that we live in in 21st century America. It doesn't need to be changed. It's once and for all delivered. You and I are to contend for it so that we can stay faithful to the mission that God has for us. You know, T.S. Eliot sarcastically said, Christianity is always adapting itself into something that can be believed. Always changing. We need to defend the faith. Now, there's two areas here that I want you to look at. Verse number four. There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained unto this condemnation. Ungodly men, now here it is, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is sensuality, immorality. He said there are certain men, ungodly men. Let's say every church, every, every Let's put it this way. Every, in, in, Christian, in, Christian, in Christendom, we'll put it that way. In evangelical Christianity, you know, the, the world calls us evangelicals. But in evangelical Christianity, every generation is susceptible to this. Ungodly men, it's not a new thing. Ungodly men that turn the grace of our God into sexual impropriety. Lasciviousness. Producing a culture of, of acceptance of that kind of behavior in dress and music and entertainment. And it's all under the umbrella of we're under grace. We're under grace. The Holy Spirit through Jude says, church, we need to contend for the faith. Because ungodly men turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and they deny the only Lord God. They deny the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we could say immorality and unorthodoxy. Two things, immorality and unorthodoxy. Don't let that big word unorthodoxy scare you. Uh, a lot of the kids go to the orthodontist to get their teeth straightened. Orthodox is just getting straight doctrine. Straight doctrine, okay? So that's all that means. All right, so orthodontist, orthodoxy, all right, that kind of gives you straight, just being straight. So the two areas there, immorality and unorthodoxy. Now, Who are the men? Who are the men? We're to contend for the faith. That's everything that's here. Who are the men? Who are the men? Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter number 2. 2 Peter chapter number 2. The book of Jude and the book of 2 Peter, chapter 2 and 3, are so similar that uh, they use the same terminology, both a warning against the same thing. Some folks have said, well, maybe Jude copied from Peter. Uh, I really believe that, 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 that Peter was prophesying and Jude was revealing that it was beginning to happen just like Peter said. But Peter gives us something that Jude doesn't give us. He, Jude warns us about those certain men, but Peter tells us how those certain men begin to influence the church. And I want us to look at that so that we can be aware and we can contend for the faith. We're looking at those who, who teach. Look at verse number, verse number 1 of chapter 2 in Second Peter. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now I want you to skip down. So we're talking about these false teachers that infiltrate the church. Look at verse number 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity. How do they influence the church? 
with their, with their great swelling words of energy. They, they're great speakers. Now, church, I want you to begin to think in your mind about what's going on in, in uh, 21st century Christianity, the things that you see online, the things that you see on the, uh, on the television, the, the reports that you hear of, of mega churches, and the things that are happening in Christianity. Extreme confidence in the speakers, great, great swelling words. They're skilled teachers. They are skilled preachers. They are, they are not outside the Christian community. In fact, much of what they say is acceptable. Otherwise, Christian, Christian folks wouldn't listen to them. Christian folks wouldn't read their literature or read the books that they put out. But privily, secretly, they introduce heresies. Verse number 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those things, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Back in verse number 1, verse number 2. Verse number 1 of chapter 2, it says, There were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying that the Lord bought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. Bringing in heresies. Their lives show the heresy. We're talking about maintaining a heritage. Maintaining a heritage. You know, the things that we, ha- the things that we deal with that would change the heritage and change the, uh, the philosophy and the direction of Central Baptist Church, the things that we argue about, debate, in our culture today, have only been around for about the lifetime of this church for about 70 years. The things that are argued over and the things that we wonder, well, what about worship styles and what about this and what about that? 70 years ago, that was not even a, that was not even a, a, a problem with any orthodox Christian church. But it's been within one generation, really within my lifetime. I'm not 70 yet, yet, but... Uh, within my lifetime that these things have begun to happen. So what do these guys do? Stay with me. We're in verse number 18. It says, not only do they speak great swelling words of vanity, but they all allure through the lust of the flesh. They entice through fleshly desires, through sensual music, through sensual teachings. Even as they minister among God's people, their lives show it. Look at the things that they allow. They live according to their own teaching. But they're influential. And they're influential, especially, verse number 18, with those. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Those who were escaping from that licentious lifestyle. And they get to church... And the very thing that they're trying to change in their life, they see on the platform. The very thing that they're trying to get away from in their life, they see in the, in the music. They see in the, in the, in the, in the, the dress and the manner of the, uh, of the congregation. And they say, well, it must not, be, must not be so bad. And how do they do that? Why do they do it? Look at verse number 19. While they promised them liberty, 
Liberty, oh, that's a big one, isn't it? We're not under law. We're under grace. We have liberty. You know, Paul has to warn the church at Galatia about that, Galatians chapter 5. He's talking about, he's talking to them in Galatians chapter 5. He says, brethren, you've not been called. You've been called unto liberty, but use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Paul goes on to say that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. These folks, the folks that would, uh, that would influence this church to change the direction that this church has been for the last 70 years, the, 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 the certain men crept in unawares, the false prophets mentioned in verse number one. These folks teach liberty, they teach freedom, but the extension of that is the toleration, the accommodation, and even the practice of immorality. Things begin to change in church. And let me, uh, let, me, let me just throw this at you right now. It's not because folks are reading their Bible better. Changes in, 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 in churches, it's not because, well, you know, for, for the last thousand years, folks have read the scripture, but... Our young people grow up, and they, but now I see it differently. I see something. The Holy Spirit gave something to me that he didn't give to Charles Spurgeon, that he didn't give to John R. Rice, that he didn't give to Jack Hiles, that he didn't give to C.R. Williams, that he didn't give to Dean Miller Jr. But he's given me something, young folks. Said, they, they, the Lord's given me something, and things need to change. Things ought to be different. Now, understand. The folks that, uh, that stand, the folks that, 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 that you may be, that may come to your mind right now. Uh, the, okay, the folks in Peter and the folks in Jude, those folks are obviously, from the, from the scripture, those folks are obviously lost. I'm going to get this mic, man. But that doesn't mean that everyone that leads folks astray, that, that, that some of the false philosophies and the certain men crept in unawares, that doesn't mean that they're all lost. Let's put those folks that are the, the ones in Jude and First Peter that are definitely, definitely unsaved. Let's put them over here on the left. Then on the right, all the way over to the right are the folks, the preachers and the churches that are orthodox, that are straight, that are trying to live that book the best they know and teach and preach that book the best they know. But in between, there's all different levels. There's all different levels. They may not be this far. In fact, here's where we get in trouble with our young folks. But they preach salvation by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. And we see them here, but... They're not orthodox in every area. Remember, faith is everything that God told us. We're to earnestly contend for the faith. And that's not just salvation, young folks. It's more than just salvation. If this church is to continue in the same direction for another 70 years, if Central Baptist Baton Rouge is to continue in the same direction for another 61 years, we've got to understand that Every one of us are to contend for the faith. It's not just the responsibility of the staff. It's the responsibility of the church members to contend for the faith. This is your church. This is where God placed you. 
this is where God wants you to minister and have an influence on folks. Now, these folks that are somewhere in the middle, maybe some of them have just reacted because those that are orthodox and those that are straight, they may not have handled it very well. In fact, the, 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 the older preachers understood what they believed. The younger preachers and the younger adults coming up, they didn't understand. They just did it because Dr. So-and-so said. Brother So-and-so said. And pretty soon, it's not about the faith. It's about what XYZ College said. What XY, ABC Christian College said. It's not about the faith. It's about what my predecessors said. And I don't understand why they said it. And it's not long before they hear one of these preachers over here that preached salvation, that preached the love of God, but yet there's something that we're not contending for to keep us on the right side, on the right side. And that's what the scripture, Jude, the Holy Spirit is instructing us, contend for the faith. The catch is the folks in the middle, they're good folks. They're good folks. You're there in 2 Peter. Look at chapter, chapter 2, verse number 2. It says, many shall follow their pernicious ways. Many. That means a lot. Many folks. That manner of worship, that lifestyle that is approved and even lived by the staff and lived by the church, that will attract people. Hey, I can go to heaven and live like I want to down here. We're all under grace. Many will be attracted. Now, again, many folks will be sincere about it. They, they, you will and you'll, you'll encounter them, and some of you may have family members. Some of you may have friends. I'm sure you do. And you have this discussion back and forth. It's not a new thing. Turn over to Revelation chapter number 2. It's not a new thing. I want to show you an example in Scripture. Revelation chapter number 2. Seven churches are given instruction here in these chapter 2 and chapter 3. Verse number 13. The church at Pergamos. The Lord is speaking here. It says, the angel, to the angels of the church in Pergamos write. So the Lord has given this to John to write to the angel of the church, to the pastor of the church at Pergamos. Look at verse number 13. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 13. Look at that verse. I know thy works where thou dwellest, where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. That's a church that hasn't denied the faith. That's a church that's been contending for the faith. They even had, in those days, where Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Antip they had one man who was killed for the faith. Now, John is writing this about A.D. 90. The church at Pergamos was probably founded about A.D. 50. Meaning it's only been, that church has only been in existence for the most about 40 years. Some of those folks in that church were probably in the church when Antipas was martyred. If they were 60 years old and they were reared in that church, they knew of Antipas. They knew the stories. They knew him. They knew that there was a threat to their life, but yet they remained faithful. And that's what the Lord's commending them for. He says, you haven't denied my faith. Even though one of you was martyred, you've not denied my faith. But look at verse number 14. He said, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them 
that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a dumb stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, to commit fornication. I mean, good church, faithful church, have not denied the faith. One of them lived a life and was martyred. But yet they have allowed, they've allowed the doctrine of Balaam to infiltrate. And what is it? A stumbling block. Meat offered to idols is what it's called in other places. Doing, doing things that, that, that evil, that evil association there in verse number 14, eat things sacrificed unto idols, that's explained in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. That's evil associations and to commit fornication. There's the lasciviousness. The church at Pergamos. Look on down at verse number 18. The church at Thyatira. Church at Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet are like fine breasts. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. This is a church that's got a lot of folks. This is the church that's doing a lot of good deeds in the community. They're doing a lot of stuff right there. An example of churches today that are just involved and involved and involved. But look at verse number 20. The Lord says, I know all the good things that you're doing. But verse number 20, he says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Again, evil associations, committing fornication, people in that church, and they had someone in the church that was actually leading folks astray and actually committing fornication within the church. But yet they were doing a lot of good stuff. And the Lord's commended them for their faith and their service. And church members and young people especially and, and college age and single folks understand that everything that looks good on the outside with a, with a church of Pergamos, so to speak, or a, or a church of Thyatira type church, everything that looks on the outside is not always that way. you got to contend for the faith, and the faith is everything that this book teaches concerning about how to live your life. And if this church is going to remain faithful, if this church is going to continue, it's going to be up to the people. It's going to be up to the congregation to contend for the faith and say, you know, there's something there's, that's... I'm not saying that they're all bad, but there's something that's wrong there. There's something that's wrong there. And I want to stick with the book. I want to be, oh, as, I want to be as close to the Lord as I can. I want to be as straight as I can. I want to follow that book as closely as I can. Not that you or I are any better than anyone else, but bless God, we've got a book here that teaches us and tells us how we ought to live. And we hear preaching. I, I just go and say, I, I'm, I'm thankful that Central Baptist Hattiesburg called Brother Jeremiah Andrews to be a pastor. Boy, whenever I heard that that was in the works, that that was a possibility, I said, oh, thank the Lord. Thank you for that, because I've heard that young man preach, and my, 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 my. I know a little bit about his family. I said, that's a great fit, a great fit. I truly believe, I believe that it was God's will before y'all voted. I truly believe it was God's will for Brother Jeremiah to pastor this church, and I'm so thankful for that. You hear good preaching. You know, you, you learn the book when you're here every week. You hear the book preached. But it's possible for a church that does a whole lot of good stuff. Churches that are willing to have, that have people who are willing to lay their life on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're sensual. Lasciviousness. It's that first thing that Jude's warning about. 
lasciviousness. Contend for the faith. God was not tolerant for those churches. The Bible tells us what happened to Pergamos in verse number 16. He says, repent or I'm going to come against you with the sword of my mouth. Verse number 22, he says to to the church at Thyatira, I gave her space to repent of her fornication. She repented not. Behold, I will cast her into the bed. Listen, you look at churches, you look at mega churches, and you see the, the, the improper dress, you see the improper music, you see the improper worship, and you say, well, but, but God must be blessing. Look, they've got a lot of money, and we're always struggling for stuff around here. They've got a lot of folks, and, and you know, we, we, we don't have as many. As they, God must be blessing them. God says, I'm giving them time to repent. I'm giving them time to repent. I'm thankful for the long-suffering of God for me. God's long-suffering for other folks as well, so, so understand that. You think about it today, you know, we send missionaries to Turkey. That's where these churches were. If, we, if they can even get in to Turkey. These churches were thriving churches, but because they got away from things, we send missionaries to that area of the world today. The Spirit of God took revival to another group, to another church. And if we don't earnestly contend for the faith, it'd be just the same where God would take the, his spirit and his power and his blessing off of Central Baptist Hattiesburg and give it to another church. Because he wants folks saved and he wants, he wants folks living right and he wants folks doing right and he wants folks to know him and to praise him in the right way. And look, if we don't do it at Central Baptist Baton Rouge... God could take his hand off of us give it to someone else in the Baton Rouge area. Could do the same thing here. He, he, that's what he did with those churches. So number three, and we'll finish this thing up. How do we contend? All right, we've looked at what the faith is. We've looked at these folks. We've looked at who they are, the men that creep in unawares. We, we looked at the false prophets. We looked at what they have taught. So how do we contend against this, this teaching? What should we do as individuals? What should we do as a church and what should we do individually as church members? Very practical. Very practical. Number one, it starts in the home. It starts in your home and in my home. This church, Central Baptist Baton Rouge, does not have a chance of remaining a sound ministry for another 60 or 70 years if your home accommodates sensuality. If we allow that into our homes, it's going to affect our worship. It's going to affect what we're able to do here at at this church. If we allow sensuality. Parents, don't vex your children Romans 12, 2 says that we're not to be conformed to this world. We're not to be conformed to the age in which we live. We're not to be conformed to this age in the sinful areas. Listen now. Parents, it starts with us. Dads, it starts with the internet. It starts with that phone. It starts with that literature, the things that you're looking at, ladies, the, the literature that you're reading, the stories that you read. It starts with the, with the television, if you have that. 
Starts with the movies that you watch, that you allow. It starts in the home. It will defile you. It will defile your body. This lasciviousness will defile your body. It will defile your family. It will defile your Christian school as those children enter the Christian school. It will defile your church. It will defile the community and the nation. It starts in the home. Now what can we do? Let me give you some specific. This is not rules. This is not, this is not legislation. I'm just giving you some suggestions, okay? And you can take it. You can leave it. This is, this is just some things that you need to be aware of. Parents, make sure you know who your kids' friends are. Limit their associations. Limit their associations. Sometimes it's within your own family. There may be cousins or aunts and uncles that you cannot allow your children to be around because you know that they're not living a godly lifestyle. Parents, it's your responsibility. But what happens is we're so, sometimes, the parents are so wrapped up in their own lasciviousness that they just let the kids go. And they, they have a difficult time leading their children away from that sort of thing because they know in their heart what's going on. Limit their associations. Be, be, be careful about their friends. Be careful about what school they attend. It's not all about an academic education, though academic education is great. What are they going to be like when they get out? What are they going to learn? What philosophies are they going to learn? What people are they going to be around? What philosophies are, are they going to learn? I can guarantee you there's a good Christian school right here. That teaches, the, that teaches the ABCs and that teaches the academics, but also keeps everything in proper perspective. Limit their associations. Number two, limit, limit their clothing styles. Limit their clothing styles. Look, insist that they are modest. Insist on that. And I know it's difficult. We have young ladies at our, at our church, and, 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 and you know, I've been school principal for 38 years. Actually, no, 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 no. School principal, I can't do the math. A long time, okay? School principal, a long time. <laughs> and I hear parents say, well, we can't find anything. I know it's not, but you know, everything we go to the store to try to buy, it's too low or too high or too got this and got that. I understand. I don't know exactly the solution, but you got to find it somewhere. You got to find it. I know it's difficult, but I know it's out there. It just takes a lot of work to find the modest, particularly for the young ladies, for the young ladies. And hey, insist, limit, limit their choice, limit their choice of clothing. Limit the entertainment. Look, if you don't understand about a phone, your kid doesn't need to have one. If you don't understand how to control that thing, your child does not need to have one. Yeah, you parents just say, "Well, I'm I'm technically illiterate." Well, okay, then make sure that your children don't have something that they can snooker you with. Last night we were having our uh, we had our banquet, uh, international dinner, whatever you call those things. We did it for the first time last night. We had that, and afterwards, one of the men wanted to send me some pictures, and I said, "Well, just email it to me." And he said, well, you know, there's something on here where I can just send it to you. Where's my daughter at? And so we found somebody that knew how to do airdrop. 
And so we were airdropping right there. And, and she goes, wait a minute, I didn't see that. How do you do that? Uh, look, I am so glad that cell phones and all that stuff didn't happen while my kids were at home because I would have had to learn all of that stuff. But listen, be careful with that. We've got to hurry. Number two, be discreet. This is for leadership here. Be discreet in how you handle this situation. How do you handle this topic in your messages and in your lessons in Sunday school? Be discreet. On purpose. I have not given you a lot of stories tonight. On purpose. About this happened at this church and this happened at this independent Baptist church and this is the real. I did not give you those stories on purpose. I don't want the kids thinking, oh, this and this and this. You, you, know, you have to be very discreet. Think about how it's handled in Scripture. By the way, there's a lot of Christian books out there that I think are too graphic. Amen. They describe the problem of these issues, and it's, just, and it's just too much. You may hear a sermon. Boy, there's sermon audio, and there's, certain, there's all different kinds of ways, podcasts and things. And you can hear a sermon by, by a good preacher and think, oh, man, that's a little bit. I, I can't listen to that one. I can't listen to that one. That's, a, that's a too far. It's become really popular in the megachurch circle from what I've read that uh, I get very graphic. Again, attracting a crowd. Very graphic. Number three, avoid sensual music at church and at home. Now, I want to direct this to the teenagers. Sometimes Brother Heath may ask your teens to put together a song. Young ladies, be careful about the music that you choose. I know of churches where it's it's uh, it's it's cost church members and it's cre- it's even right now creating a problem and I don't know how that's been resolved with uh, with uh, with the music that the that the teenagers want to sing and the adults don't have any idea of what's going on. It's a small church. You say, well, it's just music, music. It's just music. It's the words that count. The music is amoral. Oh, come on. You know, the only ones that believe that music, the sound of the sound of music, not the movie, uh, but the sounds of music. The only ones that believe that it's amoral are Christians. You know, the world doesn't think that way. Uh, they know. I mean, take the music out of the barroom scene and see what happens. See if anybody shows up. Now, I don't know. I hadn't been to a bar. Well, that's another story. But uh, it, it was an accident. Okay, it was an, it was an accident. Uh, we just kind of stumbled through one once, but anyway. Um, but take the music away and see what it's like in there. Football season cranks up. And I know we got a lot of Tiger fans here, right? I knew it was God's will because Miley's a Tiger fan. I knew it was God's will for her to be here and miss. Anyway, take the Tiger band, you know, da, 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 da. take that away from the football game coming up this weekend. Boy, they would be dead. Music affects you. Okay, I'm going to embarrass my wife. We pulled up in the parking. I know we were, we were almost here. We were almost here. And my phone and my uh, radio and my, my Yukon talk to each other. And I don't know how to make them to get shut up. You know, I can't, you know, I just turn the volume down. Because every time I get in, the car, the vehicle turns on my music. And it just starts playing. You know, I think, how do you get, you know, I can turn it on the radio, turn it on something else anyway. So I just had it turned down. She saw the song come up right before we got here. It was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It was that Hawaiian guy singing it. And we got to take a trip to Hawaii. And she saw it. Oh, she saw it come up. Oh, she turned it up. 
and we're waiting, you know, some, I don't even know, somewhere over the rainbow. Uh, anyway, we're listening to that song. And she said, the weather was just like this when we heard that in Hawaii. And she reached over and grabbed my hand over a song. He said, song doesn't affect us emotionally. It sure does. We had to sit there in the parking lot and wait for the song to end before we could get out and come in when Brent got here. Oh, but music doesn't affect. Hey, sensual music at church is way inappropriate. That breathy, that breathy singing, girls, that breathy and slurping and slipping and sliding, and that's not appropriate for church. Young people, it's not appropriate for your home either. Parents, it's not appropriate for young people at home. They don't need to be thinking about that before they're married. Avoid sensual. We could go on and go on and go on. There's a, there's a whole lot of things here. Let me, let me give you one more. Insist on modesty at church. Insist on modesty at church. Parents, make sure, make sure, insist. Listen, we have to create a culture of modesty. I want to read to you what a man who wrote a book, the name of the book is uh, Set Apart, R. Kent Hughes. He's one of those that, uh, that over the last 70 years has been trying to change, or his movement has tried to change things in church, and now they're realizing this didn't work. Uh, Here's what he said. He said, parents must take back the responsibility for modesty. You can't expect someone who's lived only 14 or 15 years on this earth to know when and where to draw the line. And that's from an evangelical. That was not an independent Baptist preacher. That's an evangelical or his wife. His wife might have put that in there. They don't know. Listen, they've not sat in the pastor's office. Well, he's trying to counsel them when husband and wife are breaking up. They haven't been there. They haven't seen couples weep because husbands are slaves to pornography. They haven't dealt with all those marriage issues that come about because he saw something. Teenagers, young, young ladies, if you have parents that are helping you with that, be thankful. Be thankful. Don't rebel. Don't try to intimidate. Well, everybody else, everybody else, you're just going to make me look. Don't do that. Honor your parents. Honor your parents. Contend for the faith. What did it say in Jude? What did it say? Let's look at it one more time, and we're going to wrap this up. I've got a lot more, but you know, this is one of those messages that can go on forever. Jude, verse number four, there's certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And he tells us in verse number three, you got to contend for the faith. you got to contend for the faith. God help us to earnestly contend for the Christian faith. Two areas there. Immorality, we talked about a little bit about tonight. Unorthodoxy. You know, I, I think if I was Jude, I would have put the, I would have put the, the, the doctrine first. I would have said, you know, well, that's important. What you think about Jesus denying the Lord God, that's probably the most important thing. But you know why the Holy Spirit had, had Jude write lasciviousness first? Because when we accommodate lasciviousness, we begin to change our doctrine to make it fit what we want to do. 
that, that, that fleshly nature that we all have to fight against. When we begin to give in to that lasciviousness, then we're going to find a reason why, well, Dr. So-and-so, that's what he said, Brother So-and-so, Brother Williams, that's what he said, and Brother Miller, that's what he said. Brother Jeremiah, that's what he said. But you know, I've been enlightened by Scripture, and I have something that nobody else has ever found before. And so I think we, can, we ought to be able to have church this way. But when that immorality, when that lasciviousness is, 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 is listed first, because when a church allows that, they eventually have to change their doctrine. It, and it starts in the home. It starts in the home. It's all of our responsibility. Okay? So let's examine ourselves. Let's examine ourselves tonight. Are we accommodating sensuality in our home? Young couples? Maybe those that are not even married yet, but you're considering it. What's your home going to be like? Parents? Maybe there's something that needs to be changed in your home. You know, say, man, I don't know where the world got in my home. You know, I don't, I don't know where the world got in your home. Maybe you do. In fact, you probably do know. You say, I'm going I'm I'm to take, take this over. Look, is there something that God wants you to change? You say, I, I don't even know where to begin. That's why you've got help up here. That's why you've got men and ladies at this church that can help you ladies, and men that can help you men. Do you need to apologize to your children? Look, we haven't been doing this right. I want to contend for the faith. I want to contend for the faith, and so we're going to straighten up some things. I've let some things go. Maybe you need to apologize. Hey, it's a powerful, powerful thing lasciviousness it's a powerful thing and it's number one on the list that we need to contend for to contend against contend for the faith contend against these things so that this church in another 50 60 70 years will just continue right down the same path just doing the same thing winning folks to christ sending folks out across the world seeing seeing folks saved seeing folks baptized ministering raising up children raising up families to please the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together, heads bowed, eyes closed.